You may be seated. Father God, we thank you so much for calling us the redeemed, for intervening in our shortness, our shortcomings are, are not quite there yet, and reminding us all that we are exactly where we need to be. Father, I just pray that you bless this time, that you, you have this time be a time of transformation and a time of enlightenment, a time of revelation, a time where you reach down out of heaven and grab us and challenge us to be different. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to start today, and I just want you to know, this is not, uh, I don't have a fishing pole, I'm not casting, so I don't need you to come up afterward and be like, oh, JJ, you're just too hard on yourself. Hear me out all the way to the end before you jump to conclusions, because some of you are going to be like, oh, come on, that's not true. But I'm going to start off this way. I don't know how to preach. (laughs) Those of you that are new are like, we're out. (laughs) In that case, I don't know how to preach. I've been trying to preach for 16 years. And what I've learned in 16 years is that I don't know much about preaching. And so I'm trying to do this. I, I constantly am reading books on it. I'm constantly trying to be better at it. I'm constantly trying to figure it all out. But what I've learned is no matter how much I do, no matter how much I prepare, no matter how much is going on in my life, I know less about it now than I did 16 years ago. And that freaks me out. And then there's these moments where I'm sitting in staff meeting and I'm supposed to be the mentor pastor, right? Because, well, I've been here longer. And Pastor Jess will say to me, I don't even think I should be doing this. I don't think I'm doing this right. And I'm like, yeah, Secretly, me neither. And I don't know that's a terrible place to be, except for the fact that sometimes I stand up here and it just haunts me with the fact that why am I up here? And I'll tell you, I've said it before. I'm up here not because I'm the smartest in the room. I'm up here not because I'm the most qualified in the room. I'm up here because I got here before most of you. I was here when we planted this place. And by default, they're like, JJ, you just take this thing on because it's a, no, I'm just kidding. But it's, it, it's relatively sort of true. Like, I, I am not any more qualified than anybody else. I feel like there is this weird call that happens and this weird equipping. But the, the closer I get to being an expert at something, the further I seem to get away from being able to do it, that's for sure. So, as we talk about this, the thing that I want to mostly hit on is to see I'm even trying a new way today. I've never written a manuscript in my life. And so I have this manuscript, and now I feel like this is going to be a handicap. So I'm not good at this. And here's the frustrating part. Take the fact that I'm not very good at this, and then add the fact that there are a thousand distractions that all of you have every single day. There are distractions that you came in with this morning. There are some of you that I know were fighting on the way here. And then you got in the parking lot, and you're like, you better shape up and go to church. Put on your good God face. And you walk in, and the last place you want to be is here. Some of you guys realize it's playoff time. And all you want to do is watch it football. 
I get that. There are so many distractions. And then you add in, like, the fact that there is, like, weird hormones going on. And uh, maybe that's just youth ministry. I don't know. But there's so much going on. Like, uh, all these things that I never even thought about before. But adult ADD, that's a thing. And I know some of you have it. I see you get up 15 times. You're fighting to be present, and all that does is it sets kind of a, another, another standard, another layer that I have to try to get through, that, that, that we have to try to communicate through. And then I realize the arrogance that comes along with the fact that I am going to speak on behalf of God. Come on. Like, like, like who, who am I to get up here and tell you how to live your life? I'm telling you, if you think that I am this holy, sanctified person, you can meet with my wife afterwards. She will tell you otherwise. Anyone that thinks they're perfect, I challenge you to just talk to their spouse or their closest friend. They'll tell you they're not. There's this element to this where there's this cycle of revelation and failure and revelation and action and failure. And it keeps going and it keeps going and it becomes this struggle that before long you are just done and you don't know how it's supposed to work anymore. You don't know how... To, to get on with, with what you're doing. Communicating is tough. So here's what I do. Every week, I get up here. I tell some sappy stories, maybe a few jokes. I try to gesture from here, but now we have this thing, so I have to gesture like this. We, 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 try, to, we, we try to come in, and we try to do what we can do, but, but, but here's the problem. You don't hear. Now, now, before you think I'm yelling at you, how many of you guys remember the movie White Men Can't Jump? Yeah, only the old people. That's me included, by the way. There's a scene in that movie that I was going to play this morning until I looked it up on YouTube. Uh, Wesley Snipes loves the F word in that scene, so I'm not recommending you go watch it. But here's what happens. Woody Harrelson puts in a tape of Jimi Hendrix. Wesley Snipes in the backseat of the star says, what are you doing? He said, I'm putting in Jimi Hendrix. He goes, I know what you're doing, but why are you doing that? He goes, I love Jimi Hendrix. He says, you, you don't hear Jimi Hendrix. He says, I can hear Jimi Hendrix right now. He said, yeah, but you don't hear Jimi Hendrix. You can't hear Jimi Hendrix. You're not listening to Jimi Hendrix. So maybe, maybe more accurately, we don't listen. There's something that takes place that hearing and listening are secondary. I mean, if you think about it, most of you are here not because anything that I say, right? Most of you don't come because you can't wait to hear me stand up and yell at you on Sundays. That's not why you're gathering here. Realistically, most of you are here because it's your community. Most of you are here, it's because where you gather, where you see people that are like-minded, where you're encouraged, where you go out to, to be equipped to take on your week. It's the same thing like with people that frequent the same bar. You know, most alcoholics don't become alcoholics because they love alcohol. They, they long for that community. And so they go to the bar where everybody knows your name and you walk in and everyone goes, Norm! And that becomes refreshing. We all have our communities. If you've never done this before, I feel like I can do it. Um, Sharon, plug your ears. There's this community 
that gathers at the Carson Pool. It's called Aquasize. Okay, now, I, it's, I'm, I'm glad people are moving, getting their joints loose. But if anyone that's there thinks they're exercising, okay, wet sweat is different than Aquasize. Hey, I have this. You don't. Here's why Aquasize is so important for 90% of the people that go there. It's their group. It's their clan. Because you know what they do right afterward? They go to Baskin-Robbins. Or they have a potluck. Not many people on January 1st thought this. My New Year's resolution is to go to the gym every day and then Chinese food. But, but that is what they do. And it's not, they're, they're not purposely gathering. Maybe they started going because they wanted to move more. But then they became friends. They started gathering because it's their clan. They go to potlucks because they want to be together. There's this element of community that overtakes all of it. And I would guess that that's why most of you are here today. It's for community. Even Even if you don't normally come here, you came here because somebody invited you to come here. That is community. There's an element of this that it's just too hard to hear from God sometimes. And we're in this season of epiphany, the season of revelation, this season of when God intervenes. We just celebrated the most pivotal part of Christianity. And I say most because Easter can't happen without the birth. So the most pivotal part of Christianity is this, that God left heaven to come to earth to be part of us. This idea, this, this incarnation We've just celebrated that. Now we move from incarnation, the Christmas season, into epiphany, where now we celebrate revelation. We celebrate the way that God speaks to us. We celebrate the way that we can hear from him. So how do I speak in a way that people don't just hear about God, but that I give you freedom to hear from God? Because I tell you what, I can put all, every hour of my week into writing this thing. And if you don't hear from God, it is a waste of time. And I'm going to tell you this right now. If you're here because of me, you need to go somewhere else because I'm going to let you down. I am going to, I am not God. And the words that I have, I try, I pray, I read scripture, I, I, I meditate on this stuff all the time. And so what I try to bring you is the word of God. But if you're not hearing from God because you're too busy hearing from me, that's a problem. So how do I talk not just about God, but create space for that revelation, create space for you to hear from God, from God to be able to penetrate into your lives? I've learned that it's just, impo- just about impossible to get people to listen to a sermon. But here's the thing. Sometimes you do. Sometimes people undeniably hear what is being said. Most of you come back for community and because sometime lightning struck and you come back for the chance that it'll strike again. God spoke to you and you gather again because you, you want that, you crave that, you need to hear the voice of God. In you. You, we need revelation. We need to hear the voice of God penetrate our lives, no matter where we are. If we're walking right, if we're in complete darkness, we need that. 
We need to hear from our creator. So you keep coming back, hoping that lightning will strike again. I mean, there was one time where you shuffled in here, you were distracted, you were unfocused, you're unsure. And despite everything you heard. You know, there, there are so many times that <laughs> someone will come up to me and they'll say something like, man, what you said, this, 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 and this, that was so amazing. And I'll think to myself, I didn't say any of that. And that's how I know it's working. <laughs> right? For instance, uh, on Victory Sunday, Pat, when you got up and said the things that you said, I think to myself, I don't remember ever doing that. But here's the beauty of it. If God is speaking that to you, then you're listening to him and not me. That's brilliant. And I know a lot of you are saying is, why are we paying you then? That's a good question. We need to get to a place where what I am saying becomes a conduit for what you hear from God. But you know what annoys me about you? Now it's just kind of airing out dirty laundry. Yeah, what annoys you? It's when I preach a sermon that was meant to be good. And I'm so excited about it. And I've poured over it. And I've put all the work into it. I've worked on it. And, and you know what? If I had another month, it would have been good. But then I get here. And I use the poorest illustrations it's badly supported, it's congested, it's very opaque. And here you come after the service with tears in your eyes. And you grab my hand and you say, thank you so much, that was so wonderful. It's exactly what I needed to hear. What, what you said up there was just brilliant. It was life-changing, and guess what, I got it. <laughs> you got what? I've seen my notes, I've seen the stuff I prepared for. What did you possibly get out of the garbage that I just spent 20 minutes talking about. And I felt like that before. And I felt like, what in the world? That was not good. And I'm the expert. Listen, I know, I know a bad sermon when I hear one. And that's the brilliance of it. Is I can get up here, prepare like crazy, do everything I can, read all the books on communication, like pour my heart into being better at this thing and get up and just totally miss it. And God says, I got you. That's exactly how grace works, right? We do everything we can do. And that gap between us and heaven is what God comes down and says, here's my grace, I'm going to lift you, I'm gonna fill that gap. And what inevitably happens the times that I feel like it was the worst message ever, somebody comes up and talks to me about, or I get an email, or I get a text about how that was exactly what they needed to hear that day. I don't know how it works, but what I know is the older I get, the more I realize it's not my job to convince you of anything. It's my job to remind you of who God is and let his revelation speak to you. What he revealed to you. The Holy Spirit is moving into you. And what, what, what you are manifesting through that is why you gather today. I had a friend who um, was on a sabbatical. And he decided he wasn't going to read any books or do any writing or anything like that. For 30 weeks, he was going to go to different churches. And what he said on the end of that, as he's giving his report from his sabbatical, was, I can't believe people go to church. <laughs> 
Because see, here's what happens. If you're going to hear the next tweetable phrase by me, and all you're listening for is that catchphrase, you're going to leave here analytically disappointed. But if you come ready to hear from God, I promise you will. And it may be subtle, and it may be little, and it may not be massive, but you will. Why do people come at all? And yet we do. For revelation. This is what we're talking about today in today's gospel. This is called Baptism Sunday. And all across the world today, churches all over the place are celebrating baptisms and doing baptisms and, 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 and talking about baptism. And we start off this season of Epiphany talking about the baptism of Jesus. And, and it's one thing to sit up here and talk about baptism, but I think we miss something if we just focus on the baptism of this right here. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 13. Matthew chapter 3 verse 13 says this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up to the water. He went out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting, and, and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I'm well pleased. Whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. See what happens when you memorize a verse in a different version. This is my son, who I am well pleased. This, this story is just, a, just as much about revelation as it is anything else. Because here's what's going on. This is not something that just happened today, on this day, right? This is something that Jews did as a, a righteous ritual all the time. They were baptized. A lot of people don't understand that the Jewish faith also baptizes. They, they, they would go and be baptized. So John is preaching this message of Jesus' coming. Notice, John is not preaching Jesus is here. John says, the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. All these people are showing up to make sure they are cleansed for the coming of the Messiah. And here's John, like he does every day, because he's John the Baptist. He has to. He's baptizing. And there's this moment where it becomes this ritual. I can just see it because, listen, I know how we are. I get complaints almost monthly about the, the welcome video. It's the same video every single week. Why can't we have a different video? And I usually reply, because... Right after your email, I'm going to open up another email that's going to be like, that video was so incredible. It's the same thing with when we bring back worship songs from the 90s, and we sing a song like Ain't No Rock. And every ounce of me, the church guy, wants to roll my eyes and be like, are you kidding me? Ain't No Rock? Wow. But then, just a few years ago, we had a guitar player named Freddie, and Freddie was new to the church, not grow up in the church at all. And we're doing Ain't No Rock. And I go through the drive-thru at Jack in the Box. And Freddie's working the drive-thru at Jack in the Box. And he says to me, JJ, we're doing this song on Sunday. I cannot wait for it. Have you ever heard this? It's called Ain't No Rock. <laughs> I've heard it, bro. But see, when we hear things through the new eyes, it's totally different. And so we get caught up in all this stuff that doesn't quite happen. That doesn't. But so, so he's not saying the Messiah is here. He's saying the Messiah is coming. And he gets, I can just see this rut. When we started doing communion every week, you would have thought 
that I, we had a mugger at the door. Like, it was that big a deal. Like, there were people that were like, wait, uh, I read the Nazarene manual, and y'all are supposed to do this once a quarter. I know how, and this is, this is the argument. If we do it every week, it won't be as important. It'll just be mechanical. It's the same complaint when you read the Apostles' Creed together every week, or you do something every week. It, it just gets mechanical. Well, here's the thing. If it's mechanical, that's on you. Experience Revelation. Because when you're participating in communion every week, you are literally participating in this communion with God. This, this, this time to be with him. So challenge yourself to see a revelation in that. So here it is. John's preaching. The Messiah is coming. People are filled with this expectation. He's coming. He's coming. They're gathering. And then we get this. John's in the river. Next, somebody comes out. They dunk him. They bring him up. Next, somebody comes out. They dunk him. They bring him out. Next, somebody comes in. They dunk him. And then he looks up. And up over the hill comes Jesus walking down to the river. Now, I've always wondered this because I don't like line cutters. Line cutters, man, especially when you're like at Disneyland or amusement parks, and they're like, oh yeah, my family's up there. I'm like, well, you're not. You should have left the churro back at the stand and waited in line with your family. I don't want to let you by. So I've always wondered, did Jesus like wait in this line? And then like when John's like, next, whoa. Or did Jesus like literally just come over the hill and be like, my, my, my cousin's in the water. Just gonna, just gonna, you know, how did this work exactly? But something happens. John sees him and something breaks that monotony of next dunk, go. Next dunk, go. Something takes place. Jesus is coming. The one that John has been talking about. The one that everyone is excited to see. The one that everyone's expecting to come. And all of a sudden, John gives in and baptizes Jesus, and this thing happens. This revelation happens. When John puts Jesus under the water, we have this amazing illustration of Trinity. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, there is nothing that will make a pastor feel more inadequate than you start talking about Trinity. Because I'll just tell you right now, I don't get it. And I cannot wait. I cannot wait. In fact, if, we, if there's a Q&A when you get to heaven, like a little town hall before you go in, when they pass me the microphone, my first question is like, hey, Trinity, could you not have made that easier? Because I feel like that's just messing people up. And if anybody tells me, well, it's like an apple. See, you have the skin of the apple and the flesh of the apple, and the core of the apple, but it's all one apple. And then somebody else is going to stand up and be like, no, 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 it's like an egg, where you have the shell of the egg, the white part of the egg, and the yolk of the egg, but it's all just one egg. And then somebody else is going to be like, no, it's like H2O. H2O can be solid, it could be liquid, it could be gas. I'm going to punch somebody in heaven. I don't know if that's allowed, but every single explanation of Trinity just falls completely short. But here's what this, con- the reason, we, uh, the liturgy we use when we baptize is we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why? Because of this instance in Matthew right here. Here's Jesus, the Son, comes into the water. 
John puts him under the water, brings him back up, and we have this amazing, the, the, the scripture says that the heavens open up. The, the, the Greek word is schism, where we get schizophrenic. They, they, they literally split. They, 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 the heavens literally split open, and this is an idea that God is there. Now, here's what I also want to know. I want to be there because no one wrote down, was the dove there already? Like, Because here's how I want to see this. I want to see the dove just circling the Jordan. I want to see the Spirit of God hover over the water and wait for revelation. So when I, when I picture this scene, the dove is already there. And the dove is just circling over the Jordan, circling over John the Baptist, circling over because the Spirit of God was already hovering over the water. And all of a sudden, the voice of the Father spoke, this is my Son. And all of a sudden, we have this doctrine of Trinity that is so solidified, these three parts that, that are just one part, but they're, but they're three parts, and they're equal. That's why the egg thing doesn't work, because the shell is not as thick as the white part, and, and kids don't like the yellow part. So it, there, there's all these different illustrations that just, to, when you have H2O and you boil it to make steam, then you lose some of the liquid, or when you freeze it, it, it but here's this thing where we have three parts that equally are put out there, but are equally one. And in this instance... Jesus is there. The Spirit is there. The Father is there. All equal parts making up God. And this revelation takes place. This is my Son, whom I am well pleased. Now here's the thing. I don't know if everybody heard that, but what I do know is I'm glad someone did. I'm glad. I don't know if there was an actual dove that came down I don't know if, it, if this actually took place the way it did. Or, you know what? It's just as powerful to me if this is a story of God having revelation from God. Because every time we hear about waters in Scripture, this baptism metaphor comes up. Think about this. When the Egyptians left, or when the Israelites left Egypt, they left slavery, what'd they do? Their first obstacle the Red Sea split. They walked through the water. On the other side of the water, they were different because they had seen God. They had experienced a revelation. They have seen God move. So Jesus, he didn't need to be cleansed. We're dealing with the sinless incarnation of God. He did not need to be cleansed. There was no repentance needed for him. But there's this metaphor, this symbolicness of, of baptism that says when you go through the waters, you come out different. You come out a different way. It happened again when Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land. God again splits a river. And they walked into the river as wanderers. And they walked out of the river as chosen. So as Jesus goes into the water... And he comes out of the water. This is the beginning of everything. And it starts with revelation. It starts with God saying, this is my son, whom I am well pleased. Later on, we're going to go on top of a mountain. And we're going to experience transfiguration. And God's going to say, this is my son, whom I love. 
listen to him. It actually makes me excited that you don't hear me sometimes. Because when you don't hear me, you're open to what God has to say. Now I will say that I'm thankful for scriptures where we hear that God can use a donkey to preach the gospel. Because every once in a while, I'll say something that even I want to stop and tweet. But it can't be about that. It can't be about the way that I preach. Why do you keep coming? Because because four years ago, five years ago, a guest preacher came in and said something that made you go, what? I never thought about that before. A missionary came in and was sharing a story, and you were so moved that you want that back again, and that what you experienced was not that missionary or that guest preacher or me. What you experienced was direct revelation from the Holy Spirit and God, and that is what makes you come back. You cannot wait to get struck by that lightning again. The heavens opened, a dove descended, and you heard God so close that you could feel his breath. When God called me to preach... I was sitting in a service. A missionary was talking about a tribe that didn't speak any language anybody ever knew. And these people that went in to try to minister to these people to to help them. And all of a sudden, I heard with my ears, not my heart, with my ears, God say, I need you to go speak the language that you speak to the people. Now, I looked around and no one else heard it. There was another time, it was an Easter Sunday, where I walked up on stage, past the altars, and just wept. No one else did that. That had nothing to do with Steve Green's message that day. It had everything to do with Revelation. And I crave that again. I I need that. I need to hear from God in a way that makes me go, oh, I can't wait to come back. I can't wait to be part of that. And I hope you know that you can experience that anywhere. I'm glad you choose to experience it here. But you can experience that anywhere. I can't preach God's ultimate word to you. I can preach the message that I feel like he's led me to do. Forgive me when I try to explain Jesus. Because when you get into the realm of the indescribable and you begin to start to try to describe it, you are never going to do it justice. It's just like your experience. But let's, I know that you're going to be scared of this word, but let's call it a mystical thing, right? Because it's mystical because it's a mystery. We don't understand it. But this mystical experience, if you spend an energy trying to explain away your mystical, then you've just taken the mystery out of it. Let it be. Let it be yours. Let it be your revelation. Should you share that? Absolutely share that revelation. But you don't have to justify your revelation. You don't have to justify what God has said to you. There are things that our denomination doesn't do. They're not wrong. We just tend not to do it. If you don't notice, we're a very quiet bunch. I've preached at churches Well, they are not a quiet bunch. And there's like amens being thrown around and hallelujahs. 
People will stand up in the back and just do this. It's kind of awesome. If you could do that. Yeah, just, just get blessed. I, I, the first church I ever went to, literally people were running up and down aisles. And then they would just like go over to the side and just start laughing hysterically. And I, I, I was freaked out. Now, you're probably not going to go to a Nazarene church and experience that. But I'm also not going to argue with their revelation. I, I'm not going to tell them they're wrong. I'm going to embrace my revelation. And I'm going to celebrate that. So forgive me if I try to explain away the unexplainable. If I, attempt you talk, if I, if I ever attempt to talk you into faith. I don't want to do that. I want you to encounter a God that compels you into faith. It's not because I'm the worst preacher in the world. It's because Revelation and recognition, that's God's. And it's always a gift. It's a miracle. You know one of the reasons why we go ahead and baptize infants in this church, in the Nazarene church? A lot of people won't do that. And, and, and we always like say, oh, maybe dedication. But we'll do it. You know why? Here's the beauty of infant baptism. It is literally saying that this child cannot do anything. They can't obey the Ten Commandments. They, 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 there's, no, they, there's no compulsion there. There's no, they, they, they literally need to depend 100% on God. And that is not an age limit. When we baptize, whether you are one or 72, the truth is the truth. You can't do this without the miracle of God's revelation. You need to be fully dependent on that. It's always a gift. It's always a miracle, and it comes from heaven. I can't preach, and you can't hear outside of that miracle. So the promise that we're carrying into this year from this baptism story that you've probably heard before if you've been around, this baptism of Jesus, the promise is that it will happen to you. There will be a moment that revelation is given to you. There will be a moment where God speaks to your heart, where your spirit is moved, where you are strangely warmed, where you realize something is different. It could be when you're being baptized. It could be when you're just taking a bath, taking a break at work, walking, hiking, listening to a sermon, listening to music. I mean, let me tell you, when today when the band was practicing and they did that first song, that song has just been wheeling around my head for a couple weeks now. And it was one of those things where I was like, this is how, I, I, look, we should just do this. You should just send me songs and we'll just play a song and the sermon's only four minutes long. You'll probably get way more out of it. You'll remember it. <laughs> it. You could be doing anything, staring off into space, doing nothing, and then all of a sudden, just when you thought your world was safe and silent and God is not intervening, boom. The heavens split. And God speaks down and his spirit lands upon you. 
and you hear, you are my child whom I am pleased. Maybe you hear, go and do this. Maybe you hear, go and sin no more. Maybe you hear this crazy burden of human trafficking gets on your heart and you need to do something about that. Maybe the challenge is about um, just being more economically savvy, not with giving to the church, but with what you buy and knowing the source of that product. Maybe, maybe what God is saying to you is this crazy, crazy conviction of not participating in this miracle round of the world that we get into where you have to keep up with people you don't even really care about. Whatever it is, it will happen. And you, despite reservations, you come here every week. And in doing so, you dare to wade out into the water. And you draw near to that spirit of God circling, hovering over the water. And when we go under the water, we embrace this idea of death, the dark. Do you have friends that refuse to go in like ocean, but they'll swim in a pool? Because they say this, I can't see what's in the ocean. Wendy, you're different. You're from Australia. There's like great white sharks everywhere. But then again, you can't walk on the land either because everything's poisonous. I'm so glad you came here. (laughs) They talk about Australia like the fires are dangerous. Everything there that walks can kill you. There's this, I don't want to go to the ocean because I can't see what's under there. It's scary. And as you get lowered, you, you literally cannot breathe. There is a moment where cell regeneration is not taking place because you're not breathing. And if you don't come back up, you die. So we say it's symbolic of dying to yourself and rising to Christ. It's more than symbolic. It technically is. Your heart is still going. But if I held you down long enough, and sometimes I've been tempted. Because I know you ain't got Jesus yet. i got to put you down a little longer. We literally are embracing this idea that if we don't stop this, we will not come up. But you wade out into the water because we need that revelation. We need the heavens to open and we need to hear from God. The band's going to come back up. We're going to move into our connecting time. Pastor Jess is going to go over some of the stations that we have 16 years ago, when this church was planted, Pastor Steve Pollard had this idea for connecting time. And this was, this was a, a very hip and trendy thing back then. It was called epic services. And we were supposed to engage all senses of people. So you, built, you burnt incense and you had visual things on the, on the walls, and you had these different things. And, and, and Steve said, here's the experience we're going to have. We're going to call it connecting time. And what we're going to do is we're going to have these stations where people that are more tangible can actually reach out and connect with God. Let me tell you why we have connecting time. It's not because it gives us a clever, a clever way to accept your tithes and offerings. It's not because... We want you to have a, this is it. We have connecting time because of revelation. 
And we want to get out of the way enough for God to move how he needs to move with you. So I, I am fully okay saying this. I believe God can speak louder when I don't have a microphone. Connecting time is a chance for God to speak loud. So however you embrace it, let God speak and embrace revelation. Maybe for some of you, that's just simply going out and asking for revelation today. And let him move. Father God, we declare today that we are yours and that we belong to you. And in the midst of the storms, we cling to you. Father, as, as we do wander out to where it just seems like everything is over our heads, we ask that you be the one that rescues and we turn to you for rescue. Thank you for everything that you are doing in the midst of all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want to thank uh, the whole team, but especially I want to thank Allie today for just kind of stepping up this week and taking over for Ben. That's not an easy thing to do, especially when you live at South Lake Tahoe and you hear there's going to be several feet of snow possibly. Um, so I, I appreciate that leadership there and uh, very, very wonderful. That was good. Good time. Thank you so much. Um, have you ever noticed that our culture is weird about death? And maybe it's okay to be weird about death. I mean, it's kind of a weird thing. But it's almost like we take this stance that it takes everything we have to ignore that it exists. Let, let me give you a few examples. Um, I'll start with this one. About a month ago, I started noticing there was a little bit of gray in my beard, in my goatee. And so I thought to myself, I think they make this stuff called Just For Men. That I can go get it and I can brush it into my goatee and everything will be fine. Well, maybe it's just a novice in me or whatever it was, but when I did that, it also made my chin brown. <laughs> and it just looked weird. Uh, it, it was one of those things that was just a very strange thing. Julie helps, has me help her dye the back of her hair on a regular basis because there's this weird thing that we have about gray hair. That it's, that it's this evil thing. I remember we could shave like that. That takes way longer, though. Maybe not for Dan. Doesn't take any time at all. We have this relationship with trying to postpone aging, which really is this fight against our own immortality, our own mortality. And, and we enter into this realm where we have an industry that's a multi-billion dollar industry that their job is to make you appear younger than you are. Or I think maybe their job is actually to make you look more like plastic than you are. And, and so we embrace this culture that we have to do everything we can to not get closer to what is inevitable. The bottom line is, none of us here going to live forever on earth. 
at one point, we are going to reach a moment where our earthly bodies are no longer going to exist. And we just have to wrestle and come okay with that. And that is one of the things that we do during the season of Lent. I mean, we start with Ash Wednesday, where we were reminded that from ashes we came, and to ashes we will return. This is not a happy thing that we say to each other, but it's just this reminder of our own mortality. And sometimes having to face that is really tough. Unless you understand what it means to be a resurrection people. Last week we talked a lot about hope and resurrection. And what that means that we become hope and resurrection people. Well, today's scripture is almost like they planned it to be back to back. Because they did. But it's just going to be this reiteration of this idea that when you are resurrection people, we look at everything differently including this idea of death. Now, death is always going to be scary. And we're always, and not scary because we don't, we aren't sure where we're going, right? But there's, there's here's, here's my scary things, just to share real openly about death. I, I hate the idea of leaving people. That's what's scary to me. It, it, I, I'm not afraid of if, if Julie were to pass away, I, I know where she's headed and I know it's gonna be great. But it scares me to death to be here without her. So this is, this is where this idea of how death is scary, even in the midst of being resurrection people, it's still this, this unknown that's going to take place. And it's not necessarily unknown of what's going to happen to you, but unknown of what's going to happen to everybody else. And in the midst of this time that, that we are currently in, this, this COVID-19 business, that's, that's where I land is... I want to be others focused through this. I, 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 Jesus says the greatest two commandments are love the Lord your God by yourself and love your neighbor as yourself. This to me is a neighbor issue why I'm taking precautions. It's because this is an others issue. It's not just a me issue. It's an others issue. And so is death. So is any time that there is some kind of separation or, 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 or leaving of any kind. It's, it's an others issue. It's not just about us. But it's how everyone internalizes, how everyone takes part in this journey that we have. And so Jesus, in our scripture today in John, is going to talk about what it looks like to be people of the resurrection so that as we go forward, it's not just about the fear. Several of you came up to me this morning, not just one. So if you thought it was your original idea, you weren't, you weren't original. Several people came up to me this morning and said, I am not going to be afraid of this. I, I'm not going to let this keep me indoors. And I said the same thing back to you. That's good, but remember the other. Remember the other. You don't have to be afraid. And this, this today, we're going to talk about this idea that we don't have to embrace this fear, but that there might be a way to see this as a resurrection people. So we're going to be in John chapter 5 today. We're going to start in verse 19. The, the actual lectionary reading for this week and the scripture that was chosen um, through this series that we're working through the, that the denomination puts out uh, for Lent. Um, it started in verse 25 and went to verse 29. And I'm part of this, this group that meets on Mondays and we kind of talk about the scripture and feel it out. And we all kind of agree that this really needed to start in verse 19 because to certain, start in verse 25, it just didn't give enough of the passage. And just, just so you know, in your own personal Bible study, if you are reading a four-verse passage, it, it's a good practice to go back a couple verses and maybe go a little longer just to make sure you're not missing some stuff. 
right? And if there's ever a therefore, you always want to go back and see why that's therefore. And, and just see, what, what are they talking about? Therefore, do this. Well, what do you mean? What, so, j, j, so just so you know, that we went back to verse 19, and this is, where it, this is how it goes. Uh, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever his father does, so the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works. I want to stop right there, because this, this is the only version that I found that uses that word greater. Almost every other version says amazing in that word right there. And the actual Greek word translates to amazing. So it's this. So I want you. I want you to hear it like this. And I should have changed it, but I, I didn't because I don't want to like switch things around. But just know the other versions will say yes, and he will show him even a more amazing works than these, so that you will be amazed. Okay. That word amazed. I want you to take that and I want you to put it in your pocket because we're going to come back to that one because this is such a cool thing. For just as a father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to him who he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. Those who will hear will live, for as the Father has life in himself, uh, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear this voice and come out of those graves. There's a lot going on here. And it would have been much easier to just tackle the four verses 25 through 29. Because there's a lot going on in just those. But it's so, it's quite incredible when you dig back to verse 19. But the first thing I want to talk about is this idea in this scripture that there is this concept of apprenticeship that's happening. Or in the church, we might call it discipleship. But, but apprenticeship is this idea that would have resonated with Jesus' audience so much. Because usually, in this time, if your dad was a fisherman, you became a fisherman. If your dad was a carpenter, you became a carpenter. You went into the family business and you learned that trade. You became an apprentice and you began to practice those things. So much so that, that even now, sometimes when there's an apprenticeship relationship, you can tell who mentored the person. Because they emulate the work style. You, you, I, still to this day, when I get my fishing pole ready, I do it the exact way my dad taught me to do it. And I've never met anyone that does it the same way. The where I put the sinkers and the leader and everything is the exact same way he did it. And, and so it's easy to see that this could be something that we say, oh, well, that's, that's, that's the Bob Tuttle rig. And we begin to understand that. And so Jesus is saying that I don't do anything that the Father has not sent me to do. There's this like apprenticeship thing. And then once an apprentice becomes in a place where they are led out to go on their own, you know what they do? They operate on their own, 
but they don't operate outside the bounds of what they learned. And so that's why when, um, when I, used to, I used to have a job in Oklahoma City where I literally built like phone cable or Cat5 cable or different cables like that. And the people that taught us how to tie the original knots around that cable to keep everything clean, you could tell who trained the people. And still to this day, if I picked up a thing of nine pin cable, I would tie the knot the exact same way. I would never try to reinvent that. Did you know in this room right now, there are probably a dozen different ways you tied your shoes this morning? Wendy didn't even do it at all. That's right. She just slipped on her boots. <laughs> she can't tie. <laughs> but we learned, somebody taught us how to tie a shoe, and some of us still in their minds are like, here's the tree, the bunny goes around the tree, down the hole, up and around the tree. Some of us just tie the bows together. There's so many different ways. And when you watch someone tie a shoe, that is how they were taught to tie a shoe. And so Jesus is saying that all power of resurrection has been given to him by the Father who is the apprentice of. And so he doesn't do anything outside of the will of the Father. Because this is how he has been taught to do it as an apprentice of God. He has been taught how to loose and bind, how to preach resurrection, how to bring life into the world. And God's, it says that God's purpose was resurrection so therefore the purpose of jesus is also resurrection the problem is and and i and i shared with my my cohort on monday there's a lot of resurrection talk in this passage for lent for me because resurrection is supposed to become easter but the, the thing is, is that we have this idea of resurrection that is a yet to come idea of resurrection that resurrection is yet to come. And so as we journey through Lent, we know that on April 12th, we're going to gather. We are going to say he is risen. And you're going to say he is risen indeed. We are going to celebrate that resurrection. But if we only look at that as resurrection, then we're missing a huge part of this. Because Jesus came to preach the resurrection. Because the Father is in the business of resurrection. And so this apprenticeship has led to this idea that we are to be resurrection people. And so as Jesus begins to preach through this and begins to teach on this, and he says it twice in this passage, very truly I tell you, that is his way of saying, listen up, knucklehead. This is big stuff. This, I, I need you to get this part. It's like when a, when a pastor says, if you get nothing else out of this sermon, get this part. That, that is the very truly I tell you. And so he's going into this to make sure we understand that he has called us to be a people of resurrection, not a people of just resurrection on April 12th or wherever Easter might fall, but people of resurrection right now. Because see, resurrection is bigger than just physical death. That is definitely one aspect of it. One aspect of resurrection is definitely where Jesus models the idea that he walks in to the home of Lazarus, walks up to that tomb, and he says, Lazarus, come out. That, that is probably our most easy and easy way to grasp the idea of resurrection. And then we also have the, the fact that Jesus died on the cross and on that Sunday he was resurrected. He was no longer there. So we have this, this, this image of bodily resurrection and it's there and it's real. But what about other elements of resurrection? Because see, there's different kinds of death. And if you get 10 theologians in a room, you're going to get 12 opinions on what it meant in the Garden of Eden when they talk about if you eat of the tree, you will surely die. Did that mean that we now became mortal creatures that are going to have a death? Were we meant to be immortal? Like were we meant to never die? And then when we ate, we had to eventually succumb to death? Was that a spiritual death? Again, 
10 theologians, 12 answers. But I think it's easy for us to wrap our head around the idea that sometimes we recognize in our lives spiritual death. That something has happened where, where sin has just abounded in our lives and we have died a little bit spiritually. Or we can see it on a corporate level. Because X, Y, and Z have happened, now we live in a world that is. So we have to be able to come into this thing with this idea that resurrection is not just the, the, the rebirth of a new body, of a dead person now alive again, from a literal stance. But sometimes resurrection looks like someone that is sick, someone that's a leper, someone that has been bleeding for 12 years and not been able to be in society, and Jesus saying, your faith has healed you. That has resurrected them on this whole social level that is so much bigger than just mean girls. The social level, now they get to go to temple again. The social level, now they get to pray in a group again. That, that is resurrection. That, that is something that was dead that is now made alive again. And that resurrection is just as real. All of the smaller miracles that we witness in Scripture, all of them are resurrection-based, pointing us to this big resurrection that we celebrate on Easter. It is a journey of resurrection to the resurrection. So whenever Jesus speaks into someone that is broken, whenever Jesus touches someone that can't see, whenever somebody says, hey, Jesus, who sinned, this man or their parents that made him blind? And he can look at them and go, neither. This man was made blind for the glory of God. Now, you can see. And all of these things were there because that man's life was just resurrected. He is now able to walk. This is the resurrection that we have the power of. We have the ability to walk into someone's life who is spiritually dead, who has is, who is, who is left this whole idea of everything behind. We have the ability to come alongside them and say, no, there is life for you. This is why we use the analogy of dead to life when we talk about baptism or when we talk about uh, people that, that, that don't know Jesus and all of a sudden they come into a relationship with Jesus. We use this, this, this idea of death to life because we've literally given them the gift of resurrection through Jesus. So now it's not just about what we celebrate on Easter. It's now so much bigger than that because we can bring resurrection all of the time. It doesn't just have to happen on one occasion. Now, let's, I want you to reach into your pocket and take out that word amaze that you put in there earlier. It's not really in your pocket. I'm just kidding. His <laughs> pocket was literally turned like this. Or um, Jesus says, there's going to be some great works or amazing works that you're going to be amazed by. And then we jump down further into the verse, and he says, but don't be amazed by all of this. Now, this was something that, to me, it's one of those issues that if you just read the Bible on the surface, you would, that's very contradictive. I mean, it contradicted itself. It said, don't be amazed. And then Jesus says, we're going to be amazed. And he acts like that's going to be a good thing that we're amazed. What, 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 what gives? Well, this is why I hang out with people that are smarter than me. Because one of the guys in our preaching cohort is a, a, a Greek and Hebrew genius. I mean, the guy could, I, I think he could sit down 
and have a conversation in a dead language. And he wouldn't, it wouldn't even phase him. He, he could have a conversation as long as there was somebody else that could do it in a dead Greek language that we don't even speak anymore. And he says, wow, that's, that's very interesting. I know the word, I know the Greek word for amaze, and it's the same word in both instances. So it's not like we just, because the, the New Living says, you, you will be amazed by all these great works. And then it says, don't be surprised when they happen. So they changed the word there. But he, was, he said, these are the same words, but they're not the same tense. Or, or we would say they're not the same context of the word. They, they, it changes it just enough to where it says this. I am going to do amazing things. This is Jesus talking. I am going to do amazing things, amazing resurrection things. But you shouldn't be amazed by them because you claim to be resurrection people. So in essence, what he's saying is the things you are going to witness are going to be amazing. But why are you amazed by them? I, I, I've told you it was going to happen. You've experienced them. I, I've shared this story with you before that I have a, 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 a very good friend of mine who's, whose brother at the age of 22 was diagnosed with cancer nearly almost all over his internal organs. And, and, and the doctor's first preliminary diagnosis was not good. It was very, very poor. And man, we just bathed Stephen in prayer. And I, I don't know why it worked for Stephen. But we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And he went back to the doctor and the doctor said, it's still there, but it's not nearly as aggressive and it's not nearly as big. And so we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And then he went back to the doctor over a year later and he was in full remission. Zero cancer left in his body. I, I was there firsthand for this. And yet when somebody tells me that story, I'm still, when someone tells me a different story, the same result, like the same kind of story, I'm amazed by that. But what Jesus is saying is, there's going to be amazing things. But don't be amazed. I'm telling you now it's going to happen. And so when you read about resurrection, well, why are you amazed? I'm telling you right now that there are things that are going to happen that are great works. Don't be amazed by this. Just be able to say, God is good. God is so good. And you know what? I knew he could do that. I knew he could bring good in this. I, I knew that he would step into this situation. And it's amazing, but I refuse to be amazed by the works of God and the Lord because I've seen it too many times. And I tell these stories of my past about how God has shown up, and all of you have these stories. Like, it'd be interesting sometime to just sit down with a video camera and start videoing your stories about how God showed up in a way that just blew your mind. That was amazing. And yet, if these stories happened to me again, I would still be amazed. As opposed to just going, well, yeah, of course. Of course God showed up. He told me he was going to. He has showed me he is going to. Of course he showed up. So the amazing things that are all around us, living in a resurrection world where we literally see death to life, whether that be physical or spiritual, we literally see people, this is why we call it born again, because it's death to life. It's the idea that we are born anew. We are new creations, all of this crazy stuff. And yet we go, wow, that testimony is amazing. 
You were there, and now you're here. Whoa. But God says, I'm the God of resurrection. You're going to see it all over my work. Don't be flabbergasted. We can still be in awe of how awesome God is. But we don't have to be amazed that he is working in the world that he promised he would work in. We don't have to be amazed every time he steps into his world and says, I got this. We can rest assured that he's got this. And part of being resurrection people, see, the way that the Jewish people understood resurrection was that it was going to be a time that everything has been restored to what it should be. And so if we are living in a resurrection world where everything is going to be restored as it should be, and we believe that God is the resurrector, and Jesus is the apprentice, which means he is the representative here on earth that is now showing us what resurrection looks like because he is working on behalf of the Father, then when we see resurrection, we don't have to go, what? We just go, yeah, that's our God. The God that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same God that split seas. The same God that delivered people. The same God that raised from the dead. The same God that did all of those things we read about can still actively do those today. And so maybe we'd be in awe at the power of resurrection. But we should never be, as the NLT says, surprised. Because that's how God shows up. Taking the ordinary, throwing an extra on the front end of that, and all of a sudden it becomes extraordinary. We shouldn't have been surprised when Jesus showed up in a stable. We shouldn't have been surprised when Jesus reached out and healed the cripple's hand. We shouldn't have been surprised when the eyes were made to see again. Because Isaiah told us that's why he was coming. We don't have to be surprised by this. God is going to do amazing things. That's it. And so when those amazing things take place, we go, God is so good. And he's good because he did exactly what he said he was going to do. And he's doing exactly what he's going to do. And that's not going to change. So as we journey through this idea of what Lent is, as we die to ourselves and we embrace this idea of death, the reason why we end our Lenten fasts with the celebration of resurrection is because death does not get to have the final word. That is not how we work. Resurrection has the final word. And because of that, we don't have to be surprised by a God that literally breathed life back into someone. That literally rose from the dead. We don't have to be surprised by those things. This morning, we're going to move into connecting time. But like I shared earlier, um, the band's going to come back, but you're just not allowed to touch their instruments after they do. Um, connecting time's going to look a little bit different this morning. I don't know if it's going to look different next week. Um, we'll see how it all plays out. But because of the communicalness of this thing, um, we, we are going to take the precautions that I mentioned earlier, and we are not going to be touching and feeling and all that kind of stuff. So 
what I want to do is I don't want to replace part of part of connecting time. The biggest part is for you to connect with God. Pastor Jeff says it all the time, right? It's, it's your opportunity to connect with God. That's the most important part of this time. But there's another part of connecting time as well, especially when we have communion. Part of connecting time is that we are communally gathering and we are saying as a whole that we are connecting with God. So I don't want to lose that aspect. I don't want to lose the community aspect of what this looks like. So we're going to do a couple of things. Until this thing is under control or it passes completely, we are going to recite the Lord's Prayer together. And, and we are going to recite the Lord's Prayer with the idea that this is going to take place of that community aspect. That we are going to read it together and we are going to pray it together. And that is going to take the place of the community that we normally have at the altars or at the, at the candles or even at the cards. Um, and then we are going to have what a lot of you grew up with, uh, just a really old school pastoral prayer time where we are going to pray together and we are going to intentionally come and seek to connect with God. And it's my privilege to lead you in that, but it's all of us doing it together. We still have the, the chest back there because I figure that you're the only one that's going to touch your check. We, we, we don't usually make a practice of, of putting a check in and somebody taking it out and putting it back in. If you don't want to touch anything, then you can go on our website and there's a little button in the upper right hand corner that says donate and donate. You can, you can give your tithes and offerings right there online. That's, that's an option that you can do. So what I want to do this morning is we're going to throw that up on the screen and we're just going to say it together. Serena, can you throw that where it says our father up on the screen? Join me in this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. The band's going to play, and I'll come up in between songs, and we'll do kind of an extended prayer time. And I want to share one more thing with you that I found that I think is just an amazing moment for us to embrace the last song of the morning with and take that in. So join us however you need to join us this morning. Please use this time to still connect with God. He's in your seats. Pastor Jess says it every week that if you don't want to get up, we believe that God is big enough to meet you where you are. And man, what a time for him to meet you. You don't have to have social distance with God. You can go and let him all the way in. So participate this morning by standing, by sitting, just in whatever posture you need to use to connect with God this morning.